Hello and welcome to the Bitcoin Butler's podcast. I am Mike Watkins and with me as always is my good friend and business partner, Matt Burke. Hello. And it really seems like there is never a boring week in the world of Bitcoin right now. In this episode, we'll be covering the China mining surprise as well as news out of Russia, El Salvador and the Central African Republic, along with some other adoption stories. But First, we have a correction from our last episode. In the last episode, we said that Bitcoin had only experienced a decline of 16% since January 1, 2022. This turns out to be not accurate. We pulled the data from Yahoo Finance, and while it turns out that their data were accurate, their calculations for returns were not accurate. So this was actually pointed out to us by one of our viewers, someone named Michael Jack. We thank you for pointing this out to us and giving us the opportunity to correct it. So with that, Matt, can you please show us the real numbers? Yeah, I've got these up on the screen here. And um, in general, um, when you're looking at year to date or the past year's performance, Bitcoin is kind of in the middle of the pack compared to these FANG stocks and the NASDAQ plus uh, Microsoft and NVIDIA were the other two stocks that we looked at. And, you know, based on our discussion last week, I think there's a lot of uh, interesting things that we could discuss here as it relates to the stock market and Bitcoin. And I think we're going to save that for another episode uh, because we can get really pretty deep into that. Um, but for now, we just wanted to uh, to correct the, the prior mistake. And uh, we appreciate our listeners chiming in and letting us know when we've got something wrong. Uh, it was really, really happy to uh, see that somebody took the time to... Uh, to let us know that. So with that, let's uh, let's get on to our next topic. All right. So this is one that we have saved up actually between us because you and I have not discussed this yet in any way. I think this is a really interesting story and I am really eager to hear your thoughts on this. So with that, what do you think of this? So, I mean, I, I guess, first of all, for those that are looking at the screen, what you can see um, was that starting in May of last year, which was when China banned miners, um, you have a big drop off. Uh, the yellow part of the graph is, is the mining capacity coming out of China. And you can see that, you know, going back prior to the ban, it was 70 to 80 percent of all of the mining was happening in China. Um, and when they implemented that ban within a couple of months, uh, pretty much all of the miners uh, dropped out of China. We know that uh, the U.S., grew uh, very significantly in terms of their mining capacity. And what we've seen now since then, uh, since around uh, August of last year, is that China has been creeping back up into the, uh, the significant levels of, of hash rate among major mining countries. And so I think this is a really interesting um, example of how Bitcoin works and how the network works and the fact that, you know, you can put a ban in place. China has has banned Bitcoin how many times now? Um, a countless number of times. And what we see with pretty good consistency is that when um, when hash rate moves from one place, um, number one, it ends up somewhere else. Um, but 
that there's really no way to stop it from coming back to the places where it's been banned from. And so I think this is a, uh, a testament to decentralization and it shows that Bitcoin is really, really difficult to stop. I, I agree with a lot of that, but I have a, a, a different take on it. If you don't mind, will you bring the chart up again, please? Uh, sure. So what we see in the chart is that between July and August of last year, let's just say a two month period, Bitcoin mining went to zero in China. Do you agree that it appears to have gone to zero? It appears to have, yes. Okay. And then we see coming out of that a pretty rapid increase up to about, I think they're around 20% now, right? Which is a, yes. a very significant number of computers. Do you have a guess as to how many Bitcoin miners are out there? How many actual computers are mining Bitcoin? Yeah, I don't know. Do you think it's more than 100,000? Probably, yes. I believe it's more than 100,000. I don't even know. It could be hundreds of thousands because I've seen some of these, these enormous mining operations. Right. So if we're saying, let's just say we have 100,000 uh, computers that are mining Bitcoin, and China has 20% of those, that's 20,000 computers. If the government of China did not want those 20,000 computers to be turned on, those computers would not be turned on. And I don't know if you agree with that or disagree with that. That's my position, that it's hard to turn on 20,000 computers using significant amounts of energy in China after the government has essentially just banned it. I think that they could uh, control a significant portion of it. I think some of it is just, you know, you're, you're going to have some people who are going out of their way to kind of hide what they're doing and to be able to kind of mine in secret, um, for lack of a better term. But I think, you know, if China, if the Chinese government wanted to root out the miners, they could find them and shut them down for sure. Right. So there, there maybe it's somewhere in between that people are doing this, uh, they're not doing this out in the open. They don't necessarily have the the overt blessing of uh, the Chinese government, but at the same time, they're just sort of the government maybe just giving it a pass, like letting them be for a bit. Yeah, I, I think that's that's probably accurate. That they they are somewhat turning a blind eye to some of it, and some of it they can't see. And who knows, there could be even more that's not reported on here that, that they're just not able to, to know that where the mining is located. Yeah, I don't know. And, you know, it's, we also are assuming that this data is accurate. But I still think this is really, really stunning. And I think this is something to look out for. And I also know that when we consider that the hash rate is at an all-time high right now, that means that for China to have 20% of the market, that's a significant number of machines. Maybe that was equal to uh, if they like if they had 30, 35% of the hash rate. I don't know. It's a lot of a lot of machines have come online since uh, July and August of 2021. Yeah, and, and by the way, this graph only goes through January of this year, so you know, assuming that there is some trend there, um, you know, you can see it's kind of trending up um, as we get to the last part of last year in January of this year. So I, I would think that that we'll see that hash rate continue to go up until uh, China decides to ban it again. Mm -hmm. 
And I think we can take two things from this, that either China is complicit in allowing the miners to be there, or uh, these miners have, I, I just can't see how these miners could get that many miners up and not have some kind of approval. But you know, I don't know how the different regions work there. I don't know how different provinces work. I don't know if this is you know, out in the middle of nowhere in China. It, it's hard to say. I just think this is a really surprising thing that came out this week. And we need more data in order to really interpret it accurately. For sure. We'll, we'll be keeping an eye on this one for sure. Mm -hmm. um, all right. Well, let's go to our next slide. But um, it's good news regardless. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. El Salvador. So uh, this week in El Salvador, um, we, uh, we saw the representatives of, 44 different countries, uh, and my understanding was mostly central bankers and other financial types from these countries, all developing nations, um, came to El Salvador for what I believe was a financial summit um, to talk about financial inclusion that really became a uh, heavily Bitcoin-focused effort. So, um, you know, El Salvador continues to think you're saying that El Salvador, we lost you a bit there, but El Salvador continues to... ...is there that, um, that there's a way for them to have, you know, access to, to money through Bitcoin um, in a way that, that these countries don't have. They don't have um, banking access. They don't necessarily have the internet access required to, uh, to transact over the traditional financial system. And so uh, this is a pretty exciting development for El Salvador. Yeah. So the the conference, by the way, Matt, we lost you for a bit there. So I, there may be some things you may need to repeat. But this, this setup was supposed to happen in El Salvador in 2020. This group of people were supposed to come to El Salvador before El Salvador adopted Bitcoin. So I think some of the the headline is a bit misleading, but when you look at what they did when they were in El Salvador, they were using the Lightning Network. All these representatives each received a Chivo wallet and they received $10 worth of Bitcoin. And they got to go around to the different merchants, much like we did at the Bitcoin conference and actually use Lightning. And I, I don't know if there's a more compelling thing to have people understand how the system works than for them to actually touch it, feel it, and use it. You can give speeches and lectures and show charts and graphs. But for me, I think when I used Lightning for the first time, it was, it was I don't know if it was a bit of an epiphany. I don't really know what the right word is, but I it, it felt different than paying with something using the traditional payment platform. And I also got to see that it really worked. It was fast, it was easy. And this is certainly a, a, a viable way to pay for anything. Right. Um, and I don't know if this was part of, the, of where uh, I may have cut out for a minute there. But I, but I think, you know, the original uh, topic of this, of this summit was not necessarily anything to do with Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was really more about financial inclusion and developing nations, uh, you know, improving their people's access to financial 
solutions, but uh, it seems to have, you know, really turned into a Bitcoin focused effort. Mm -hmm. Of course, and it's going to because the world is obviously moving in that direction. And then we also saw some news out of El Salvador today, which was that El Salvador seeing the, the highest amount of private investment in the past 61 years. Their GDP has increased by 10%. Uh, the number of remittals coming into the country has increased. In other words, El Salvador is booming. El Salvador is booming. Um, there's been a lot of economic development there. And um, I think that President Bukele is, uh, is doing a lot really to move that forward. And it seems like he's doing a lot to try to reduce crime as well. Um, you know, I think that if this trajectory holds, then El Salvador is certainly going in the right direction. Mm, and we'll see how much it spreads these other countries. I think that human nature is a funny thing. It really is a funny thing. And if you go visit your neighbor and you see that your neighbor is doing really well at whatever, whatever the thing is, and it's something that you can easily duplicate yourself or you could duplicate yourself. Let's just say you're, I'll just say your neighbor's buying Bitcoin and your neighbor's buying Bitcoin back when Bitcoin was just say like about a thousand dollars of Bitcoin and it had these parabolic moves and you started buying your Bitcoin at 20, it moved to 1,000, you tell your neighbor about it, your neighbor wants to jump in on it, your neighbor buys it for 1,000, and it starts to go crazy. Well, when your neighbor sees you making that money, it's human nature to want in. It's human yeah. nature to say, is there, I think it's biological, is there a way that I can get this? And so for all these bankers to go to El Salvador and see what's going on there with the economic development in the country, to see the country's numbers, to actually touch and feel the software and the platform, I think that the the impact of this could be significant. Time will tell. Yeah, if nothing else, it's uh, it's a compelling way for people to get exposed to Bitcoin and to see practical uses for it um, that they might be able to take back to their own countries. You also have to wonder if maybe you know, there's this thing that can, everything is good for Bitcoin. And so maybe COVID with everything being delayed for two years, the same group of people would have come to El Salvador two years ago would have been very different. Now, because of the delay, they come to El Salvador and it's a very different place 24 months or so later. Yeah, sure. All right, let's keep going here. Next one, Central African Republic. So Central African Republic this week released a presentation for what they're calling Sango, the crypto island. Um, they're looking to build a, uh, a Bitcoin and crypto friendly uh, zone, I guess you could call it, an, e an economic zone um, within their country. Um, I don't really quite get the island part. It looks like, you know, when you look at some of their renderings, there's bodies of water there. There's not a whole lot of water in the landlocked uh, Central African Republic, but um, it seems like they've got a, a pretty ambitious plan there to try and create a haven for um, folks who want to build an economy around Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. Um, and so they've uh, kind of laid out the framework here. They've said that there's going to be um, you know, no taxation, um, that there's going to be no corporate tax if you want to build a business there. And they're going to try to uh, develop 
you know, something that that folks might want to come to in order to uh, to participate in this Bitcoin economy. I think this is similar to obviously this is similar to what El Salvador is trying to do. Uh, it's in a different geographic region. I don't think it is as exciting, interesting, or going to be as well executed as what I see going on in El Salvador. But I think that to have something on the continent of Africa is helpful. And I think it's going to pull, if it's going to pull anyone in, it's going to pull people that from the surrounding countries. And if there's a place in Africa for people to go who want this kind of economic development and freedom, it will attract people. Uh, you know, there's the, the famous saying, um, you show me the incentive and I'll show you the outcome. Sure. So I, I, I think, you know, when we talked about the Central African Republic, when they first adopted Bitcoin as legal tender, I think we were both um, maybe not skeptical, but also not that impressed with it. Like, you know, really, you've got a country that's a landlocked country with a very low population density. The GDP per capita, you know, is 10 bucks a week or so. Um, this is not a... Uh, a thriving nation, but you know, this is the type of thing that if you're going to throw a Hail Mary and you're going to try to, you know, turn it into something that is more viable, uh, this is an interesting way to do it. I, I agree with you that if there are people that, you know, would be intrigued to come to, um, to El Salvador or Madeira or the, uh, the economic zone they're building off the coast of Honduras, any of those, um, you know, could be attractive to to a lot of people, but potentially not people who are, you know, literally on the other side of the world in Africa. Um, and so I think you could see other Africans that, you know, are financially disenfranchised, mm -hmm. feel the need to go check this out and see what they can uh, and make in a truly free market economy. Yeah, we'll see if if some of the stuff is if you can relocate your business to there. I could see people, you know, there are you know, there, there are a number of very large and, and I'm say wealthy companies that are on the African continent. And I could see someone, let's just say someone runs a call center in Cape Town, South Africa, and they're dealing with the, the taxes and all of the, the bureaucratic headaches of the government in Cape Town, South Africa. Because of the world we live in now, they could relocate to another area. And it, it, for them to move, I don't know what the distance is, let's say a thousand miles, isn't that big of a deal. For, for an American company to move their business across the world is a very big deal. But for people who are located in, in other African countries to come to this area where they can get favorable tax status, that is going to drive people to that area. Assuming several things can happen at the same time, which is that they can make it actually, you know, look as good as they do in the presentation and that, that they can do it. Um, you know, I, I do have concerns about the fact that Central African Republic, like many of these Central African countries, um, are just not particularly free places to live. They're typically run by warlord types. They've got, you know, uh, soldiers for hire and their militaries. Like I, I think all of these things are are 
you know, points that, that could, you know, lead to the failure of a project like this. So if they figure out a way to work around that and to actually um, have a zone that uh, represents, you know, freedom for people, then I think that's a great thing. And, you know, I wish them the best in, in pulling it off. And we'll see also how it affects their neighbors. You know, maybe some of their neighbors start to see, you know, some of the, a lot of their neighbors were in El Salvador. And so if another African country starts to see that, you know, this, this country that no one had really much respect for, Central African Republic, all of a sudden people are moving there. All of a sudden people are, are building there. There's, a, there's life really starting to come out of there. I think that you will likely see another African country try and adopt similar things to try and attract that talent. And I think we can see this actually worldwide because there's going to be, we, we talked about this before, we, a lot of people had seen this coming. There's going to be like competition to attract the, the best and brightest minds, to attract the best businesses, a worldwide competition. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And Bitcoin helps enable that, obviously. For sure. Um, all right. Should we keep going? Yeah. All right. Next, uh, we're going to get into our adoption headlines. And uh, Well, you uh, missed – I'm sorry, Matt. You missed one. You missed the Russian. Um, oh, that's in here. Is it in there? Let's, if you don't mind, can we jump to that one? Because I think it really kind of fits in with this. And there was an uh, – uh, there we go. Um so I thought this was, of all the adoption stories, this one was the most interesting to me for a number of reasons. So one, we're not dealing with Central African Republic. We're not dealing with El Salvador. We are, we're dealing with a very significant world power. And in this story, they didn't do anything. They didn't build an, a free economic zone. They didn't make Bitcoin legal tender. But... What I thought was interesting from this was was the inevitability of what's coming. Yeah, and by the way, for anyone who's not watching and only listening, the headline is that Russia says that legalizing Bitcoin and crypto is a matter of time. Uh, this was from their Minister of Industry and Trade. Uh, so the point was that you know they're just saying it's not a matter of um, if but when. Right. So that probably would have been helpful if I'd mentioned that, that Russia, that basically the, the minister of industry and trade in Russia, Denis Mantarov, essentially said that Bitcoin and other, crypto, other cryptocurrencies are inevitable. And I don't think that's a radical statement. We've seen statements like that even come out of like the European Central Bank. We've seen it from, from, a number of very significant financial institutions. But I thought this was particularly interesting, the fact that it was coming out of Russia and that it wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with what they have done, like I said before, but that we all know where the world is going. He's really just stating the obvious. But with the fact that people from, this isn't just a casual statement, this had something behind it. I just think this adds a lot to the, if anyone is doubting where we're heading, and what things are going to look like, the people are telling you where it's going. Sure. Um, I'll, let me ask you a question about this uh, Russia thing. How much of this do you think is driven um, by what's going on with Russia and Ukraine and the energy uh, kind of challenges that that Europe is facing? I know there, you know, there's definitely been uh, mention of 
of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies in terms of Russia's uh, energy trade. Uh, do you think that has an is that part of this or do you think it's something different? Well, the I'm not sure. I, I also know that I have a bit of a vested interest here, meaning I would love to see Russia's demands right now for their oil to be paid for in rubles to be dropped for Bitcoin. I think that would be incredible for the adoption of Bitcoin. Uh, but that's not what they're pushing for right now. Right now, they're pushing for, for these countries to pay in rubles. And I don't really know what the intentions are, what people are trying to do there. I, I don't think I could give a particularly educated answer on that. But I can say this, that if Russia wanted people to pay for oil with Bitcoin, they would say, we want you to pay for oil with Bitcoin, not rubles. Yeah, they're, they're not known for really uh, mincing their words when, <laughs> with that stuff. No, and that's that that actually just kind of proves the point with this with a story, which is that, you know, when the leaders of countries are telling you where things are going, believe them, especially when it matches your own theory and your own vision of what you see happening. And and I think the point of a lot of these stories and sort of the recurring theme is. Is just sort of validating in some ways what we see coming. And believe it or not, most people do not see this coming. I know we were having a discussion, I think it was earlier today. I mean, people are really seeing what's coming and what's going on. The answer is, sure. we, I think the question was, how many people out of, out of everyone you know really sees what's coming? And I think your answer was one or two. Yeah. It's so many. it's not many. And it's, it's, I, I think when people look back, a lot of things will be like so obvious to people when they look back. But, um, but so many aren't paying attention. Yep. All right. Well, let's go on from Russia. Let's go back uh, to where we were with the uh, other adoption headlines. Um, so Tag Heuer, um, I don't know if I said that correctly. I think I did. It, mm -hmm. The uh, Swiss, Swiss watch maker has announced that they're going to accept uh, Bitcoin and some other coins uh, for payment in the U.S., um, even to the point where if you go to their website to buy a watch, um, all of your checkout options are there and uh, BitPay is one of them, which will allow you to check out using using Bitcoin or other cryptocurrency. Yeah, so we actually went to their website and tried to, when we see these stories, we go to the website and actually try to use it. And in this case, we could see it was being done by BitPay. And if you look at, at, at the number of payments that they accept there, it is 11 different payment options that the user has. Mm -hmm. So I think this is what we're going to see moving forward, that there are going to be a number of payment options. And there's very little reason if you have a website to not accept multiple payment options and to not accept something like BitPay and their other their other Bitcoin payment rails where people can pay with not just Bitcoin, but other cryptocurrencies. And you don't have to build a new website for it. It's a very easy payment system to implement. Uh, I actually went onto BitPay's website after this and just tried to see the different merchants that were on there. And they have countless merchants in all yeah, different areas, a you know, a lot. Mm -hmm. So this to me isn't really tag hoyer adopting bitcoin in any way this is just 
uh, Tag Heuer adopting the big pay payment system. And, you know, there's there there's quite a bit of economic shock going on in the world right now. And if you're a luxury watchmaker, I don't think you really care how people want to pay you. Right. And uh, knowing that knowing that there's plenty of people who have made plenty of money uh, mm -hmm. in other digital assets, right. then it makes perfect sense for them to accept it as a form of payment. Right. This doesn't even look weird. This just almost just looks like normal a bit when you see it. And you see the BitPay thing there fits in just like everything else. But once again, another step forward in adoption. It's, it's, it's clearly the direction we are moving in. Yeah. All right, let's keep going here. The uh, Swiss bank, Julius Baer, will offer Bitcoin and crypto services. Um, Julius Baer is a, uh, is a pretty large bank um, in Switzerland. I think uh, they've got about half a trillion dollars under management. You know, pretty, pretty big, pretty big institution. Um, again, not anything uh, overly surprising. We've seen other financial institutions um, allow for this kind of thing and to be able to let their customers um, invest and hold Bitcoin. And so uh, I think this is just one more, like you said, mm -hmm. a drop in the bucket. Well, it is a Swiss bank offering Bitcoin. I mean, let's just, let's just take a, a step back. And I like to use the the seven-year analysis of so this is like 2015, I tell you, oh, you know, there's going to be a Swiss bank that's going to adopt Bitcoin in 2022. That would seem like a really, really big deal. Yeah. Because we're seeing, you could almost say in some ways, we're, you know, we're obviously seeing adoption, significant adoption uh, every day almost. Uh, this doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but a Swiss bank offering Bitcoin and crypto services to their customers I think it's significant. It's a Swiss bank offering Bitcoin. Really quite right. amazing if you step back a bit. Yeah. Anytime you have, you know, these conservative legacy type of institutions that are allowing for this, um, the, the fact that they're, that they're offering those services is less significant than the fact that they have taken the step to make the change. These are not, um, these are not places that that like to do things very differently than they've done them for, you know, probably centuries. I would not be surprised if the meeting, it, what, what year do you think the initial meeting was about whether they were going to do this? It's, it was, it was not in the past six months. How about that? Exactly. All right, let's go to the next one here. Israel. So two Israeli credit card companies are going to be offering uh, Bitcoin purchases and um, they are also going to be offering uh, cash back Bitcoin cards. So if you use their credit card to buy uh, merchandise, then they will pay your rewards in Bitcoin, just like if it's, you know, Amex rewards or discover cash back, whatever it is, this is going to be in Bitcoin. So my question to you here is, why are they doing this? Well, typically, when you see things like this, it's because customers want it. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that's one way of saying that, that, that. Well, I don't know if it's, I would agree. And I think that uh, demand is certainly part of it. Uh, maybe they're doing market research and this seems like something that, uh, would cause people to change credit cards, their rewards coming back in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. 
I know it's something that would motivate me to change my credit card. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I, and I may be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure that, that Israel is not um, particularly pro-Bitcoin. Um, I think that there's a lot of uh, restrictions around being able to, to use it and to own businesses that are involved in it. Um, even I know that, you know, there are um, a couple of exchanges that, that are based out of there or that are based with, from uh, Israeli citizens that are not able to fully operate there. So I think there is some restriction there. Um, and so this seems like it is, you know, a bit of a departure from kind of where they've been headed with this. Yes. And, you know, I think that we have in some ways we've got like the inevitability, like the, the banks coming into things where the institutions are offering Bitcoin. And then we also have this consumer demand where the consumers are demanding Bitcoin. And we continue to see this. I, I thought this one out of Israel was interesting because it was it was a bit out of left field for me. Like I just didn't really see where that was coming from or why that was. I was surprised to see two credit cards being offered by two large financial institutions coming up with this idea to give people their cash back in Bitcoin in Israel. Yeah, and these are two of the larger credit card companies in Israel, mm. if I understand it. And I don't think they did this without some significant market research. They weren't just For taking sure. a flyer on this. So, um, you know, when we take a look, if we step back, like we said before, sort of the 30,000 foot view and see what's going on and, and step away, I have to say, from the price of Bitcoin, because that tends to be a lot of focus for people. But when you take a step back and you start to add up all the news that's happening almost daily or, or just look at the stories for Bitcoin for the past 30 days and it'd be very, very difficult to, to argue that the world has almost basically adopted it already. They just don't realize it yet. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's valid. Um, all right, let's go to the next one. Uh, Balenciaga uh, to accept Bitcoin and crypto as payment. I, I think this one, we probably should have put this one right after tagging yeah. um, because it's really the same thing. And I think, I think you're going to see this. I think there's, um, there are going to be a, a lot of luxury brands that do this as a um, as just a, a obvious next move, especially given that you've got a lot of money that's been made in in Bitcoin and crypto. Um, and so I think that you know the luxury brands maybe first and foremost are going to feel like you've got people with uh, with disposable income to burn might as well, you know, accept the, the payment in the form that, that they want to make it in. Yeah. I think that's the, the key thing there is disposable income. We have inflation worldwide right now. And when you have inflation, the area people spend their money first is food and shelter, mm -hmm. mostly food and, and also energy, food, shelter, energy, all, all of the requirements to live. The thing you're not going to be doing is buying a $3,500 tag watch. If you're, if, you, if you're having trouble keeping up with your monthly bills, if you're in trouble with the price of gasoline and food, 
that's not on the cards. But if you have this money in crypto that you've made and you have the ability to do this, I think that will attract some buyers. And maybe they don't feel as guilty about spending their crypto money. And I'm, I'm using crypto, particularly not Bitcoin. Um, then they'll attract those buyers and, and they can attach themselves to, I'm not going to use the term disposable income. I use the term disposable value that people mm -hmm. want to part with that value that they have. And it's a smart move, especially when there are easy systems out there uh, like a BitPay or, or the other systems that just allow you to use the cryptocurrency payment rails and still accept things in the, the fiat currency of your choice. Because I know a lot of these things instantly convert if you want it. Sure. There's no uh, obligation on the part of the uh, merchant to hold Bitcoin or any other crypto um, and no obligation on the part of the buyer to uh, to spend their crypto. It's just using that network as a method of getting value from one place to the other. Mm -hmm. So if you want to use use your native currency and if the merchant wants to receive it in their native currency, that's fine too. Um, it's just a matter of using a, uh, a cash final uh, instant cheap network that really doesn't allow for any do overs or chargebacks. It's, you know, mm -hmm. it's, from a merchant standpoint, it's great. Mm -hmm. I, I wonder when you think we're going to see this from an Amazon, a Target, a Walmart, a Google store, Apple store. You think we're going to see that anytime soon? You never know. I mean, I think that I can tell you what what I would say with great certainty is that um, those topics are being discussed at those companies. They either either again, this it's not a matter of if but when. And I think that um, especially with with the big you know the big tech companies. Um, I think are going to tread lightly because they get scared of, of regulators potentially coming in and, and telling them they're doing something they don't like. Um, not necessarily something that's unlawful, but you know, if you're a politically sensitive company like Google or Facebook, for example, that is under a lot of pressure from the government, um, you know, maybe you're not rushing to, to implement that if you know that the people that, that you have to answer to on that level aren't fans of, of the platform, but um, that will change over time, I think. And I think you'll see uh, all of the companies are going to move that way. It's just going to be, you know, when you click on your Apple pay and you have your choice of your debit card or your credit card, you know, you might have another choice of your Bitcoin wallet or your lightning wallet. I think that's inevitable. Um, how soon that happens, I don't know, but I would be shocked if it didn't happen. Oh, it's happening. And that, that company, if you don't mind, bring up the last slide again. Uh, that company's name is Balenciaga. Balenciaga, yeah, they're a fashion brand. Uh, so I believe they are part of the same company as Gucci. Okay. And um, and Gucci was the first, uh, the first brand in this company to accept crypto as payment. Mm -hmm. So we are seeing some pretty significant brands who are willing to go out there and say, we are going to accept this, this digital asset payment, whether it be Bitcoin or crypto. So Tag Heuer is a very significant brand. Balenciaga, I'm not familiar with. It's not in my wheelhouse. Have you heard of them before this? 
I have not, but when I asked my wife, she absolutely had. Uh, makes sense. I certainly heard of Gucci. So we are seeing brands that people know uh, starting to starting to do this. And as they start to pile up, I think it makes it easier for an Amazon, a Walmart, or a Target to, or CVS for that matter, to adopt it. Anyone with online shopping, any place where people do a bunch of online shopping, I think is a target for it. And I don't think a Google or an Amazon is that far away. I think Apple would be the furthest away from that group. But I think I could see it coming down the line with uh, an Amazon, maybe a Walmart, you know, Walmart doing something, trying to differentiate themselves in that digital space that they would put it there. Uh, inflation, I think, is going to have an impact on this. That that stores are going to be looking for ways to to get value out of their uh, their customers, uh, especially if if they're dealing in areas where uh, they're going to be a secondary type item, whatever that secondary type, you know, a non uh, non necessity to live kind of item. Yeah, discretionary. Discretionary, yeah. Um, all right, so I think that's all of our headlines for this week. Um, anything else you want to cover? I think that's it. I think it's been uh, quite an interesting week with, with all kinds of news coming in from all kinds of different directions, and it's still painting the same picture. As much as we are looking for weaknesses, we are not here to just say that, you know, we are, I'm not an absolute believer. I'm here to look at things realistically and try and analyze them and try and make good decisions um, for me and my family. And when you compile all this data together and you try and break it, it's getting harder and harder to break. Yeah, I think there's definitely some, uh, some pretty significant groundswell um, that you're just, you know, this is a this is a genie that is not getting put back in the bottle easily, if at all. No, and I had one other thing to add to that. If we're going to kind of talk about that subject, I was thinking about the iPhone today, and we saw something similar happen with the iPhone, but the iPhone didn't face a lot of resistance. The iPhone didn't have an IMF. The IMF didn't. I'm sorry. The iPhone didn't have a World Bank. The iPhone didn't have very powerful forces uh, that did not want it to succeed. People just sort of loved it, started adopting it. Copies came out of it. The meaning the iPhone had a much easier road to global adoption. Well, when your biggest yeah, well, when your biggest obstacle is BlackBerry, you know, maybe it's not that hard. Agreed, agreed. But there was I know when iPhone came out that there were a lot of people that I knew that were skeptical about it. Absolutely. There were it was also um, a six hundred dollar phone. They didn't exist either. People thought that mm -hmm. was crazy that people will never spend $600 for this phone. But, but the two things do are similar and we're seeing that um, you also start to realize that the adoption of Bitcoin worldwide is bigger than the adoption of the iPhone. And I have another th theory, which is that the adoption of crypto has to come along for the ride in order for Bitcoin to get where I, th where I would like to see it and for it to reach the levels where I think it'll be, uh, I do think the other crypto in some ways is helpful. In other ways, I think it's particularly unhelpful because most of it is complete garbage. But 
and we saw, I think, Tag Heuer is accepting Shiba coins, which are yeah. garbage. So, you know, that that's just going to be part of it. You, you can't let the ideals get in the way of it. But there being more than one crypto, I think in some ways makes it easier for Bitcoin to to get in there. Well, and maybe in more ways than than you're alluding to, because I think that the the somewhat you know risky and dangerous aspects of other crypto besides Bitcoin um, allows people to see the difference between Bitcoin and everything else. And so, you know, and, and even when you hear like Gary Gensler talk about about this stuff, you can tell in his language. And even though he's a little bit um, cryptic for no pun intended, um, but, you know, so he won't come out and say what he intends to do. But when you hear him talk, there's definitely a distinction between Bitcoin, which is a, you know, a, a fully decentralized um, asset class that's treated as property as of now. Um, he views that very differently than, you know, all of the other coins that are really, um, you know, it's hard to find one that's not an unregistered security, in my opinion. Um, and I think he realizes that too. So I think he's treading very carefully. But, you know, I think, uh, I think it, helps, it helps shine the light on Bitcoin in the right way to show that all of these other assets are really something different. Mm. You know, when, when you started getting into Bitcoin, you, you, you heard the statement, everything is good for Bitcoin. And it sounds a bit like a cliche at first, but the deeper you go, the more you realize that almost everything is good for Bitcoin. Eventually. Eventually. So... All right. All right, Matt, can you tell people where to find us, please? Absolutely. Um, so you can come to our website, btcbutlers.com. Uh, you can email us there, info at btcbutlers.com. We're on Twitter at btcbutlers. DMs are open. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe, like, comment. Um, if we made a mistake, feel free to call us out. If you have a question, if there's something you'd like to hear us talk about in a future episode, please throw it in the comments. We'd love to hear from you. Um, if you want help implementing any of the Bitcoin best practices, such as buying Bitcoin, storing your Bitcoin, running your own node, creating an inheritance plan, um, or maintaining any of those things, Bitcoin Butlers is happy to help you. Um, and specifically when it comes to inheritance planning, um, our free sovereign inheritance planning guide is available at our website. And uh, we welcome you to download that, take a look at it. And if you'd like some help um, putting an inheritance plan in place for your Bitcoin and your other digital and analog assets, uh, we'd be thrilled to, uh, to help you with that as well. All right. Thank you, Matt. As always, appreciate it. Have a good one. Thanks.